Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show, where if you're looking to get away from all the doom and gloom news about the coronavirus, how many new infections, how many new death rates, what are the new models saying about how many people are going to die? Well, if you're looking to get away from all of that, you've come to the right place. Now, I do want to put a note up front here, and I'm doing this with all of my podcasts, and that is, since there's no school at the moment and all the parks are closed, there's no place to take the kids, which means you may hear them in the background. I will try and edit that out as best possible. However, I have three boys, and they do tend to fight. Or, in the case of one child, likes to jump up and down a lot when he's playing video games because it helps him concentrate. But, as far as it goes, I will edit that out as best possible. And even though I'm not covering the coronavirus, that doesn't mean the things that I talk about aren't coronavirus adjacent. Things that are happening as a result of the coronavirus things that are being exposed politically or things that the media is doing that is just plain sick and wrong. All right, so I just wanted to put that note up front here. Now let's start off with this first article here from CAT 107 or 103.7 FM. Supermarket managers blast hoarders who want to refund for 4,800 rolls of toilet paper. So for a long time now, people have been talking about how the stores have been out of toilet paper or how hard it is to get a hold of toilet paper. And that is because there was a lot of people that went out there and started mass panic buying toilet paper at the very beginning of the coronavirus outbreak. And they had one of two motivations why they were doing this. One is because, well, fear and panic buying, wanting to stock up on enough supplies that they wouldn't have to travel so that they could stay safe. And the second reason was because they were taking a look at what was going on, was able to predict how people would respond, and went out there and started buying en masse, thinking that when the shortages happened, they could flip a profit online. And for a while, they were able to do so. Now, in either case, you know, whether it was because they were panic buying and they realized, hey, they don't need all that toilet paper or, you know, because of the crackdowns on being able to flip toilet paper online for a profit, you know, they now find themselves in a situation where they have a lot of toilet paper and guess what? Uh, their tax returns, their uh, money that they had saved up is gone and they don't have more money coming in. So now they're trying to go off and return these uh, rolls of toilet paper to the supermarkets trying to get a refund of all the money that they spent on it. Now, here's the question. What do we do? Because when it comes to the supermarkets, having all that toilet paper returned will create a lot of disruption and cause a lot of financial issues for these supermarkets. You know, because they went off and they've been now upping their orders of toilet paper. Toilet paper has been going into much higher production. But now, if all the people that were hoarding it are now trying to return it, well, that is going to create a huge problem as we'll go from a shortage to a huge surplus. And these hoarders, you know, one of the reasons why they were doing all the hoarding is because they saw this as a no-lose situation, you know, whereby if they, you know, didn't actually need as much toilet paper as what they were buying, 
they figure, oh, well, I can always return the unused rolls for a refund and get my money back. So I won't lose money. Or, hey, if I wasn't able to flip this online and make a profit, I can at least return it back to the store and get a refund. You know, they're going off and trying to play this where they have all gain and no losses. So I say these stores should reject returns of toilet paper and just tell these people, look, on the bright side, you won't have to buy toilet paper for a very long time. But I see no reason to reward these people. Now, if you're going off and saying, yeah, but we got a shortage, there are people who are, you know, not able to get a hold of toilet paper, we should, you know, accept these toilet papers back and be able to go through and, well, make it so that the rest of the people can get toilet paper. Okay, but maybe it shouldn't be a 100% refund. You know, these people should face consequences, whether that is living with the financial decisions that they have made or whether their attempts to return it should be at, you know, less than 100%, like say 80% on the dollar, or maybe accept it back at wholesale price rather than retail price. In any event, they should not be rewarded with a no consequences action or outcome for their irresponsible behavior that has caused pain and suffering onto other people who have been struggling to or basic necessities and being able to use the toiletries after using the restroom. All right, enough of that. Now, as you know, the stimulus checks have gone out. I received a stimulus check, and I'm trying to figure out how best to use that, whether I should donate that to charity or whether I should just take the windfall and invest in marketing efforts for my businesses, whether it be for this podcast or whether it be for my eBay store or my Amazon store or, you know, whatever the case may be, how best to use that money to either help other people or use it to grow more money with. But the Democrats have been freaking out because Trump had put his name on the stimulus checks to remind everybody who actually was providing the money. Right now, some people are going out. Well, it was the federal government and the House and the Senate. Well, remember, the Democrats actually held that money up. Remember how they were trying to hold you and me hostage while they tried to implement, you know, socialisms and all these things that had nothing to do with the coronavirus. You know, they were playing politics with your lives. Well, it turns out that it wasn't even Trump's idea. You know, uh, what was it? Uh, Mnuchin says putting Trump's name on coronavirus stimulus check was his idea. So here's how this went down. Trump was just going to go ahead and let the money go out. And then Mnuchin says, hey, you know what? I got an idea. How about we put your name on those checks that are going out and put your name uh, digitally signed on what's being direct deposited into everybody's account? That way the Democrats can't come back later and try and steal credit because it will be hard for them to try and campaign and steal credit for this when your name is on there. And Trump is probably just like, oh, you know what? That is probably a great idea. I don't know why my Trump impersonations are pretty horrible. That To me, that sounded more like Nixon. But he probably went off and said, yeah, you know what? That seems like a great idea. Do it. You know, and the Democrats are freaking out because part of their plan 
was that they wanted to be able to rewrite history along with the help of the media to take credit, claiming that they were the ones who fought for the stimulus checks, to bail out the American people, fought for you instead of corporations. But it's really hard to do that when Trump's name is on it. Now, of course, Democrats are appearing on media going, this is horrible, this is partisan. So now that they can't take credit for it, they want to go off and try and demonize it as a really horrible move. And Pelosi was on CNN in doing just that. Pelosi calls Trump's name appearing on stimulus checks shameful. That's right, because she wanted to put a Democrat's name on those checks, you know, if she thought she could get away with it. So House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday, and this was last Wednesday, uh, called the decision for President Donald Trump's name to appear on stimulus checks amid the coronavirus pandemic shameful. The president's name will appear on checks sent to Americans to combat economic fallout of the spread of the disease in a last-minute Treasury Department order, a senior administration official confirmed to CNN. Now, now Pelosi has come out, condemned the move in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper on the lead, saying that it is shameful and people are really desperate to get a check. And so now, you know, one of the funny things that are going on here is what are people going to do? Are all those far leftists who are out there going orange man bad, are they going to decide not to use the money because Trump's name is on it? Or are they going to say, Hey, yes, I want to get the money. And how are they going to, you know, attack Trump when they got a check from Trump with Trump's name on it or a check, you know, with Trump's name on it, bailing them out financially? How are they going to go out there and do that? Now, maybe there was some election uh, politics going on here, you know, or, you know, whatnot. And that may have, you know, some consequences uh, to it, you know, such as did it violate the Hatch Act when he's, I think it's the Hatch Act. I'm, I have to try and go through, you know, whether or not he was using his office for campaigning. But then again, the president is in a unique situation where there's absolutely nothing he can do during his first term that isn't considered using his office to try and get reelected. It's just fulfilling his campaign promises can be considered, you know, using his office to try and get reelected. Now, whether or not you agree or disagree with the idea of sending out a stimulus check, you know, I, I get that. There are arguments on both sides. One of them being, hey, we can't financially afford this. This is going to, you know, lead to inflation and devaluing of our currency. I get that. And at the same time, there's the whole, well, the only reason why these people aren't earning an income is because the government ordered their place of business to shut down. Therefore, they are not able to physically go to work in order to earn an income. And I get that this should have been smarter, such as saying, hey, the people who are going off and still able to work full time from home who haven't seen any income disruption shouldn't have gotten the check. And I agree with that. And then there's the whole, well, by the time we figured out who does and doesn't still have a full time job earning incomes and all of that. It would have been, you know, too late and people would have been suffering too much. I mean, there were so many things going on here that I don't think there was a way in which this could have been rolled out without there being a downside, a negative. And I get that. But no matter where you land on this, you got to love the fact 
that what Trump did, you know, with putting his name on it, has blocked the Democrats from being able to steal credit for the money being sent out to everybody, which is why the Democrats are out there trying to come up with a new way to be able to claim credit for something. And this was brought to you by the squad. You know, the vice is reporting the squad has a plan to cancel your rent. Now, this is very interesting because when we take a look at this, um, yeah, this doesn't seem to be constitutional. You know, it, it kind of, you know, has a constitutional problem uh, with this, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the squad is going out there. Minnesota Democrat Representative Ilhan Omar announced legislation Friday that would fully forgive rent and mortgage payments to ensure people aren't evicted during the coronavirus crisis and that vacant properties aren't left to be scooped up by investors specializing in flipping homes after a crisis. The Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act, co-sponsored by Reps Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Pramila Jayapal and, and, and what is that? Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, and others also called for the cancellation of any fines that build up during periods of unpaid rent and other measures that might impact a tenant's credit score and keep them from renting or owning property in the future. Payments would be suspended or forgiven from May 1st up until 30 days after President Trump's emergency declaration expires. Now, mass displacement, home foreclosures, and shutting of businesses are imminent and less aggressive measures are taken immediately. Now, here is the issue. You know, they're going out there and they're trying to pander. But the problem is what they're out there trying to say is forgivable. You know, forgiving rents and forgiving mortgage payments. But they don't own the lease agreements for those rents. or the loans for the mortgage. You know, and so this comes to a constitutional crisis here that they are implementing because they're trying to implement legislation that would deny people of their right to own property and to collect money for their property or to earn money from their property. You know, and so there is constitutional crisis. Now, there are a lot of landlords that have gone out there and understand what is going on. And so, you know, they're already, you know, saying, hey, don't worry about rent, you know, this week or this month. And there are, you know, financial institutions that are saying, okay, yes, we will work with you on the fact that you may not be able to make your mortgage payment during this time. You know, and so everybody knows what's going on. I mean, this is, you know, the entire country. It's not like it's a localized area. You know, so everybody knows what's going on and everyone wants to go through and work. And, you know, financial institutions and landlords realize that, hey, um, you're not able to pay because the government is not allowing you to go to work and that this isn't a problem that is specific to you. So even if they tried throwing you out, you know, evicting you during this time for not paying, well, what are they going to fill the house with? Everybody else is pretty much at home as well, barred by government from being able to work. So it doesn't make sense because now they'll have an empty house. 
that once all of this is lifted, you know, as far as rental properties go, that once all of this is lifted, they have to try and find a new tenant. But the problem is the new tenants will be struggling financially as they will be trying to get their finances back in order, you know, once they get back to work or if their business shut down uh, while they were out of work or while the shutdown was going on, you know, went out of business, you know, it's going to take them some time to get a job. So most uh, reasonable or smart landlords are saying, hey, you know what? Even though you can't pay, guess what? Nobody else can at this time. And since you have been stable in paying the rent on time up until the point of this crisis, um, we're going to let you get by without rent for a little bit uh, until the economy is open back up because it's a lot easier for you to be able to just go back to work and then start paying than it is to find someone who goes back to work and then trying to track them to renting out this property. And as far as the banks and the financial institutions go, I mean, what are they going to do? They could start, you know, uh, foreclosure proceedings if people don't pay. Uh, but how are they going to get those proceedings through? I mean, they have to first hire a lawyer, but the problem is the lawyers aren't necessarily uh, working at the moment. The courts aren't working at the moment. And by the way, um, given the number of people that they would probably have to foreclose on, um, this would be a huge disruption to the housing market. This would create a housing crisis if banks and financial institutions were to actually hold people to their mortgage payments. Because think about how many millions of people right now are filing for unemployment benefits because they're not able to work right now. What do you think would happen if the banks went out there and started, you know, demanding payments or they would implement foreclosure proceedings? Now, I understand this because I have worked at a bank in the mortgage default area before. I worked there during the 2008 crisis. And, you know, while that was, you know, somewhat unique, this is on a scale that is unprecedented. So, what do you think would happen? Banks start foreclosing, but then who would they sell the house off to? When they go through foreclosure, who would they sell it off to? Well, everybody is going through and having lots of financial struggles because of this. There wouldn't be enough investors to buy up, you know, several million homes going through foreclosure. You know, as a result of this, everybody else is financially struggling. So what do you think the banks are going to do? You think it's going to be in their best interest? to foreclose because it's not just that they foreclose and it sells off to another person. If another person doesn't buy it at the foreclosure auction, guess what? It goes back to the bank and it becomes an expense to the bank. And this is where I'm going to give you some behind the scenes. So what do you think happens after a bank forecloses on a property and nobody buys it? Well, heck, I can tell you this. Even before the foreclosure sale actually happens, if someone moves out of the home, the bank is already incurring expenses because they're having to go through and the bank is hiring people to mow that yard. Why, why would they do that? You ask. Well, to avoid violations being issued to that property, violations that could cause a, a lien to be placed on the property by the city who could then swoop in and take the property out from under the bank, selling it and auctioning it off for the cost of those liens 
or delinquent taxes. Guess what? If the homeowner wasn't paying taxes, the bank will pay the taxes. That way it can't be sold off in a tax auction for delinquent taxes. So the banks are incurring expenses. And because the property is sitting there vacant, guess what? They also have an interest in trying to maintain the property, doing basic repairs and maintenance on the property in order to maintain its value. That way, when it gets to sell, it maintains a higher value, not only for that property, but other properties in the neighborhood that might come for sale, keeping their values up so that the bank can issue larger loans to make money. And so there is no financial incentive for the banks to go through and foreclose on these properties because doing so incurs expenses, not only the expenses of going through foreclosure, but the expenses of trying to make sure that the properties are maintained, the taxes are paid, and all of that. So behind the scenes baseball, foreclosure is a huge expense to the banks. And do you not think that the investors on these mortgages, because here's another inside baseball, the banks don't own much of the mortgages out there. They service it. So when you get a loan, you know, the bank sells it off to an investor and then that investor go, turns around and hires the bank to do all the bookkeeping and servicing for that. So the banks don't even really own the loan. So when you're taking a look at, you know, whether the banks would foreclose or anything, you got to also take a look at the investors. Well, the investors realize what the problem is with the economy and that everything is shut down. So I don't really see this legislation from the squad going out there and trying to say, hey, we're going to cancel rents and mortgage payments and all that. First of all, there's a constitutional problem with that. But second of all, it's not something that is actually needed at this particular time. But what are the Democrats going to do? Seriously, what are the Democrats going to do during this time when Trump has already made sure that they can't steal credit for the stimulus check being sent out there? So they need to come out and find something else something out from which they could come out there and claim that it was the Democrats helping you through the crisis somehow, some way. And if they can't do that through the stimulus check, they're going to try and find another way without any regards to whether or not they have the authority or the legal constitutional authority to do so. But they want to be able to go out there, claim that they did this. And if the Republicans come back pointing out that this is not necessary, you know, that, you know, everybody knows what's going on. It's, you know, nationwide. You know, it's just not something that is necessary. The Democrats will go out there and go, oh, see, see, the Republicans, they don't want to help you. They don't want to actually provide you anything. You know, they'll attack them as these, they're only looking for big businesses. You know, they want you to lose your home so that investors can, you know, take it up. Flip it around and make a profit on on it. They're trying to get you to lose your home for big businesses, hoping that you never actually analyze the situation, hoping that you never actually take a look at what's going on. Now, yeah, sure, there's probably some private investors out there that would take advantage of this in order to buy up more properties that they can then turn around and rent out later. Sure, but that assumes that the banks would actually go through with doing foreclosures during a time when the only reason people are defaulting is because government is blocking them from being able to work. 
But the Democrats are going to continue along this path because they don't see a lose situation here. Either A, they're going to pass this at, uh, through the House and then it stalls in the Senate and then they can attack Republicans. Or B, they can go out there and say to hell with the Constitution, implement something not needed and claim they were fighting for you. They don't see themselves in any way, shape, or form in a losing position on this, which is why they're going to continue forward and, you know, hope that the media will be able to help prop it up and, and I'll go out there and say, this probably did more for you than the stimulus check because, you know, if your rent was $700 a month, you know, or $1,200 a month, then, you know, this legislation would have saved you a lot more money than the stimulus check provided you. And so this is all about political positioning rather than taking a look at what is actually needed. Do we need to waste our time doing this? I would say not so much. But, you know, the Democrats, they're desperate to get something out there that they can campaign on during this coronavirus because so far, It's just been one screw-up after another by the Democrats. Now, in other news going on here is that Trump is increasingly starting to get tired of all the political BS. So as you recall, the Democrats have done everything that they could throughout this entire administration to try and block Senate nominees to fill cabinet positions or critical areas of government in which there are vacancies, which, you know, gets to one of the questions about how the Democrats are saying, why couldn't Trump have responded faster? Oh, his administration didn't do this, that, or the other thing. Meanwhile, the Democrats won't allow leadership positions to be filled or have slowed them down. I mean, when we took a look at when this first started happening, it was stated that it would take a part of the way through his second term to get all the cabinet positions and all the government positions filled because of how the Democrats were stonewalling and blocking everything. Well, one of the tactics that is used by the legislative branch in order to prevent the president from being able to fill these positions is by blocking his ability to do recess appointments. And recess appointments are, hey, the legislature is, you know, adjourned for the time being. They're home. They're not there to be able to conduct business. This is a position that needs to be filled. The president fills it up. Now, what the legislature has been doing is they've been adjourning without officially adjourning, you know, whereby they leave D.C., no business is being conducted, nobody is showing up to hold anything, right, whatsoever, and yet they declare themselves as technically still being in session, when in reality that they're not. And this is one of those things where, the legislature just came up with this idea that they could still be in session without actually being there in session. It doesn't make any sense, you know, because by all actual, you know, indications, by all actual actions, they are adjourned. But they do this because they think that just by saying, hey, we're not officially adjourned, we're just acting as though we are adjourned. But since it's unofficial, you can't do recess appointment, which is complete and total BS. You know, if they're not going to be there in D.C., if they're not holding any business in the legislature and they're saying, hey, we're not going to for, you know, so many weeks, then, hey, 
that's a recess and Trump should be able to go through and get his appointments in, you know, through the recess appointments. You know, it, it never makes sense how they can suddenly decide that they're not there, but they're still in session. You know, so Trump is going out there and he is now saying, hey, you know what? If you're not going to be here doing business, then you're going to be considered adjourned. And guess what? I'm going to appoint these people through a recess appointment. And he's invoking a constitutional authority, which is interesting how the left will go, hey, how can all you constitutionalists agree with Trump's statements that he is going to adjourn Congress himself? you know, make it an official adjournment to push through nominees. How can you constitutional people agree with that? And it's like, well, um, it's in the Constitution. I mean, that that's kind of one of those things where constitutionalists are not upset at politicians invoking authority expressly given to them in the Constitution. So there is a provision in the Constitution where the president during uh, certain uh, certain circumstances can adjourn Congress himself. Now it's a constitutional authority that has never been invoked before because it's never been needed before. Because in the past, whenever a big crisis happened, uh, the legislature actually stayed in session to deal with the crisis uh, or they actually adjourned when they were not there. I mean, they actually proclaimed it as an official adjournment when they were not there, you know, so they didn't play these political games, you know, in order to try and stop the nominations. So because of how things have gotten, Trump is, you know, claiming that, hey, either you come back, you do business as usual, or I'm going to declare you adjourned per my authority in the Constitution and then I'm going to push through these recess appointments to finally have a fully staffed government. And the left is losing their minds on this because there are 129 nominees that are stuck in the Senate. Now we could say, well, this is the Senate. Why doesn't the Senate go through and confirm it's adjourned? And that's an, that is a issue uh, of itself. Uh, and I'm trying to go through and research whether both houses need to be considered officially adjourned, whereby if the House doesn't consider themselves officially adjourned, you know, therefore Congress is not adjourned and therefore no recess appointments, you know, need to take a look at that. Or if the Senate can be officially adjourned and that's all that's needed to push through these nominations, you know, in which case we got to start asking, well, why aren't the Republicans doing that. But Trump is threatening to use this power. And of course, the left is going nuts. They're wanting to go off and call him a dictator. Of course they do. But this is one of those interesting things where the left keeps flip-flopping. They call him a dictator. Then the coronavirus comes out and they say, well, he's not being authoritarian enough. He's not taking over enough businesses. He's not exercising enough government power. And then they come out and go, well, he wants to exercise constitutional authority. He's a dictator. It is interesting how they keep flip-flopping on whether he's a dictator or whether or not he's not exercising enough government authority based off of whether or not it meets the narrative of the moment. And so they keep going back and forth on this. But you can't say that someone is being a dictator, a tyrant, or whatever for exercising 
authority expressly given to them in the Constitution. And as far as it goes, I would support President Trump using his constitutional authority to adjourn Congress if they're not going to show up for work until after, you know, May 1st or sometime during May or even after May, maybe not until June. Who knows when they're actually going to come back. But I would officially agree with him using that constitutional authority and then just using recess appointment powers to finish staffing government. And not only would this have the benefit of finally having a fully staffed administration for the first time since Trump took office, but it would also have the added benefit of being able to go out there and free up the Senate from having to do all this confirmation hearings. That, by the way, and every other prior administration was would have been done years ago now. Would have been done after the first year in office or even the first six months in office. The fact that they're still trying to go through and get these appointments through just goes to show how obstructionist the Democrats have been. So this would then free up the Senate to do other more important you know, legislation. Uh, more important things for the you know benefit of the American people rather than being stalled in all of these you know appointments that should have been done a long time ago. And finally, it has the third benefit of just pissing off the Democrats and making the media go nuts. I mean, let's face it, any attempt to put them in their place, make them go nuts, and watch them freak out is always entertaining, isn't it? It's always one of those things where it's like, yeah, yeah, stick it to them. You know, just because, you know, revenge is sometimes sweet, you know, with all the crazy, stupid things that the Democrats do, we just kind of like putting it into revenge. But then we have to think about future consequences, about how Democrats, now that this authority has been exercised, would abuse the power to find any excuse to adjourn Congress in order to then implement their own recess appointments, even if the legislature is not in recess. I mean, it's one thing to use this power of recess appointments during a time when no one is actually showing up in Congress to do any daily work. And it's another thing to say, hey, you're showing up every day. I'm still going to adjourn you. You know, those would be two entirely different scenarios, but I wouldn't put it past the Democrats to, you know, just adjourn, you know, Congress just to push through, you know, a a nomination, just to push through, you know, somebody somewhere in government that should never hold a government position. You know, so we do got to make sure that this doesn't get abused if Trump implements it, that it only gets used to adjourn Congress when they're actually are adjourned and just trying to use a technicality in order to prevent themselves from officially declaring it. Now, wouldn't it be sweet if during this time, right, Trump does issue an adjournment of Congress using his constitutional authority? And let's say Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And now I'm, I, I'm just using this as an example. I don't actually wish her to die. But let's say she falls ill and passes away. And then Trump just uses the recess appointment for the Supreme Court. 
hey, that would be great in some respect. I mean, yeah, it involves someone dying, and that is sad. You know, but, you know, that would be an interesting scenario. And whether or not you could do a Supreme Court appointment through a recess appointment, or whether or not, you know, Congress, you would have to wait until, you know, the Senate reconvenes in order to do that appointment. And if he does a recess appointment, it would only be temporary. And then based off of his pick, that could ignite excitement among the Republican base to actually show up so that that Supreme Court pick actually stays in office, stays, and doesn't, you know, just end up losing the Supreme Court seat because the recess appointment is only temporary. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we need to go through and take a look at and consider when taking certain actions. Furthermore, the Democrats are trying everything they can in order to try and attack Trump, attack Trump. So as you know, Trump has been pointing out that this virus started off in China and has been attacking the media for having downplayed the virus and you know, basically trying to rewrite history and ignore all the actions that Trump took from January up until the entire shutdown of everything. And the left is going out there trying to say, oh, Trump, you know, he he is trying to, it's Trump trying to rewrite history. And Trump is playing propaganda videos. And it's like, wait a minute. He played videos of what you actually said. He played a video of you saying something. And you're saying a video of you saying something is a propaganda piece. You're going to need to explain that. Or Trump, you know, in that video puts together the timeline of all the actions that he took. Was any of that false? I mean, the media wants to go off and say propaganda, propaganda. Well, how is it propaganda? What what about that was false? Was anything in the timeline of his actions actually false? No. Were any of the videos of you in the media saying the things that you said, was that somehow artificially manipulated, some sort of deep fake? No. So what about it is propaganda, right? What about it is propaganda? Explain that, media. But they won't explain that because they know that their claims of it being propaganda is complete BS. But they also know that the left doesn't do any fact-checking. So if they just say this is propaganda, the left will just, propaganda, oh, propaganda, like a bunch of mindless zombies. You know, that that's what the left is like. They're like, oh, this is propaganda somehow. You know, never will they ask, how is it exactly propaganda? Well, the D- Democrats are going out there trying to say the fact that Trump will not take, you know, blame for the coronavirus, which there's no reason why he should take blame for what China did. He took action. He was criticized for the actions as an overreaction. It turns out that maybe it may have been an underreaction after all, but Trump took action based off of the information that we had at the time. Monday morning quarterbacking, having more information than what we had at the time he was taking action, you know, it, you know, it may, you know, suit your political narratives and means, but it's not true. It's the left engaging in propaganda, but they're saying that you don't get to blame the other side. Real leaders take responsibility for their actions. Well, yeah, but real leaders are not going to take responsibility for things that are not actually their fault. 
I mean, going off and saying that, you know, Trump didn't take it seriously enough. He may have been overconfident in our ability to quarantine the coronavirus when it first was known to hit our shores. But what we didn't know is that it actually came to the U.S. earlier than previously known, before anybody knew what was actually going on in China. While the World Health Organization was helping China to cover it up, while the World Health Organization was telling everybody, don't worry, this isn't human-to-human transmissible. You know, And take a look at the rest of the world, by the way. If Trump had underestimated this, guess what? The entire world did. Because we were getting misinformation, not only out of China, but out of organizations such as the WHO that delayed responses. And so they're trying to blame Trump for things that were not Trump's fault. When at the time, they were criticizing him for overreacting because everybody else was downplaying the actions. Now his overreaction turned out to be an underreaction. And they want to say, well, why won't he take blame for this? Well, could he really control what was happening in China? Do you really think he could have predicted in any way, shape, or form that before anybody knew what was happening in China, that people from China were already traveling to the United States. There is an interesting uh, outcome of antibody tests that suggests that the coronavirus actually first started in the United States, at least in California, before January. We're talking about around December. And back then, nobody knew what was going on. No one had even heard of the coronavirus. The outbreak in China was just barely getting started and no one knew a thing about it. You know, so trying to blame them for information we didn't have and nobody knew that it was transmissible while you were still asymptomatic. You know, and so we may have been overconfident in our quarantine measures. But they're going out there and trying to say Trump won't accept responsibility. But well let me ask you this, Democrats, how many of you have taken responsibility? Serious question. How many people on the left have come out and taken responsibility for after Trump issuing a public health emergency, going out in public and telling them, don't listen to Trump, go about your day as normal. There is no threat to the coronavirus in New York. There is no risk of coronavirus. Everything is is in place to handle it if it should happen. Go to these big public events and gatherings. Go down to crowded venues. How many people on the left are taking responsibility for telling their supporters to ignore Trump's public health emergency and go about their day, in fact, go out there and find reasons to get together in masses to celebrate our party? Has Nancy Pelosi taken any blame or taken any responsibility for telling people, come down to Chinatown after the public health emergency was issued. No. Has Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez taken any responsibility for telling all of her people on Instagram to go to restaurants, to go out, don't stay inside, go to restaurants and socialize? Has she taken any responsibility for saying that after a public health emergency had been declared? No. So let me get this straight. You're wanting Trump to take responsibility for after issuing a public health emergency, everyone getting infected because all the Democrats were telling them to ignore Trump. 
How does that make sense? It's like going out there and saying, I'm trying to issue a warning here. Something is not safe. Do not enter. And then everyone's saying, well, that, that do not enter sign. No, no, you know, it, it don't, don't listen to it. And the do not enter sign says, do not enter landmines, right? And everyone's going, no, 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 ignore that sign, ignore that sign. You know, orange man bad, ignore that sign. It's perfectly safe to walk there. And then people start walking through the landmines and blowing up. And the Democrats want to blame the person and demand why the person who put up the sign that said danger, landmines, do not cross, why they won't take responsibility for all the people who had crossed through into the minefield encouraged by the opposition. Hmm? Isn't that interesting? And all the people talking about Trump's need to take responsibility for stuff are the people who were actually responsible for telling people not to listen to Trump. It's quite amazing. But, of course, they know that the media will never in any way, shape, or form hold the left or any Democrats accountable for anything. They just want to go off and you know play politics with everybody's life. And they do this all the damn time. All right, so taking a look at everything, it looks like I have enough that I want to get through. Uh, that would cover another 50 minutes. So there's a lot of things that I'm going to be going through and carrying over uh, for tomorrow, right? But there is one last story that I do want to get to today, and that involves Spygate. Yes, Spygate, the gift that keeps on giving, you know, with how bad this was. So in case you forgot what Spygate was, it's an issue where the Democrats hired a bunch of foreigners to get information from a bunch of foreign sources and then feed it through the FBI in order to spark an investigation into their political rival, Donald Trump. Now, as we know that from previous reportings that Christopher Steele was known to be unreliable, his Steele dossier was filled with Russian disinformation, and guess what? The FBI knew it. I mean, there was a lot of things that were going on that proves that the FBI knew they were investigating Russian disinformation, but ignored all of the, well, all of the facts that it was Russian disinformation in order to justify continuing the investigation. It's amazing. And all of this uh, reporting that, oh, Russia interfered in the 2016 election to help Trump has all been debunked. Because what ended up happening was that Russia was actually there to help Hillary. And that the information that they were helping Trump was disinformation designed to spark an investigation. I mean, think about that. This is one of the things where the left is kind of clever, whereby the Russians and trying to help Hillary came out uh, and tried to make it seem like they were helping Trump in order to investigate Trump. So information from FBI investigations can leak to Hillary Clinton's campaign and they can block Trump from getting elected with the selective leaking of the investigation by October 31st, just two weeks before the election. Well, here's bombshell uh, reported by PJ Media is that Russian intelligence knew Steele was investigating Trump in 2016 campaign. And it goes on, two Russian intelligence operatives knew that former British spy Christopher Steele was investigating the Trump uh, campaign you know, for president as early as July of 2016. The information was a footnote in a Justice Department report on FBI actions related to the FISA warrant. Another footnote reveals that Steele's company 
Orbis Business Intelligence, was penetrated and targeted by Russian intelligence. The declassified footnotes were revealed by Senator Chuck Grassley and Ron Johnson on Wednesday. This was Wednesday last week. Uh, judging from other footnotes from that report that have been recently declassified, they paint a picture of highly sophisticated Russian intelligence agencies' effort to plant disinformation not only during the campaign, but afterwards during the FBI investigation of the Trump for President organization. And so here it is. You know, now, first of all, foreign interference in our election, it's amazing because the only proven foreign interference was for the Democrats, right? They're the ones that paid all the foreigners to get information from foreigners in order to influence the election. And then when we see about this, Russia knew that Christopher Steele was investigating the Trump campaign, penetrated his organization. Yeah, really, Steele, you're you're really on the ball there. Fed him disinformation that circulated throughout the government in order to spark an investigation into President Trump. And the FBI knew it. The FBI knew that Christopher Steele was being targeted by Russian disinformation specialists. They knew the information that they were investigating was a hoax. And they kept on investigating anyways because they never thought they would get caught. They thought Hillary was going to win and that all of this, uh, all of their actions would be covered up and never exposed and that they could rig the outcome of the election into the direction that they wanted. Screw we the people, you know, and the FBI had information suggesting Christopher Steele wasn't reliable, but withheld it while relying on his dossier. So the Daily Wire is going off reporting that the FBI was aware of issues with ex-British spy Christopher Steele work, but kept the information out of important documents after agreeing to do so in order to learn about Steele's credibility. In other words, to assess Steele's credibility, the FBI agreed not to include its assessment of Steele's credibility in a document maintained by the FBI regarding Steele as a confidential source. Well, isn't that amazing? So they knew he wasn't a credible source and they still use his information because it was never about investigating Russia. It was never about investigating Russia interference in the campaign. It was about finding an excuse to target political rivals, to use the iron fist of government to target and punish anybody who would dare run against the Democrat for president or really for any elected office. And remember, this isn't the first election in which, under a Democrat president, the government has been used to target political rivals. Obama did this back in 2012 using the IRS. So now we have a pattern of government under Democrat control targeting political opponents in order to rig and influence the outcome of an election. And while we can go on and on and on about all the evidence, all the proof, all of the, you know, well, all of the indications here that prove, uh, wow, I thought I had silenced the computer. Sorry about that if that bleeds through, but I'm not going to edit that out. But in any event, now that we've gone through and we've seen everything that has gone on, all the evidence that the FBI knew that it was a hoax, the only question now is not whether we can find more evidence because we got a rock solid case here. Now the question becomes what happens now? Hmm? Is there going to be any consequences to those who abuse their position in government in order to target political rivals, abuse of power, 
Is there going to be any accountability whatsoever, any consequences for this? Is there going to be any investigation into what Obama knew and when he knew it? These are the serious questions because what point, what is the point, I should say? What is the point of uncovering all this corruption? What is the point of going through and covering up all the abuse of power? What is the point of going through and uncovering all of the illegal actions and behaviors if there's not going to be consequences? If no one's going to be prosecuted, if no one's going to face any punishment whatsoever for this. So what do we do now? You know, we need to start going through and demanding accountability and man demanding people be punished for their actions, for their illegal behaviors, demanding that all of this be presented in open court where the media will be unable to cover it up. I mean, sure, they could try and not cover it, but they won't be able to lie. They won't be able to say, this is all conspiracy theories. You know, there needs to be accountability. And guess what? If nobody faces any action as a result, then we don't have a government. And I would say the Trump campaign or the Trump administration is all talk and very little action. You know, and if no one is held accountable for this, then why should you and I ever be held accountable for anything? Huh? If the law does not apply equally to those in government as it does to those outside of government, then we don't have a justice system. Of course, I already know uh, that we don't have a justice system. I already know just how corrupt judges are in our judicial system, how they will put in blatant lies into court orders in order to justify a ruling and how they have a system whereby any investigation into the uh, rulings of a particular judge for lying in their rulings will not only not actually investigate it, but they'll purposely missummarize what a complaint is in order to avoid investigating it. It's really quite amazing. And if you go off and try and publicly shame these judges, what are you going to do? Huh? Is there enough people that actually care? I don't know. I don't know. But if no one faces accountability, if the law is not applied equally to everybody, then we've already lost our country. All right, that's it uh, for this particular episode. I do thank you uh, for listening in. And I do hope uh, that you appreciate the fact that I am trying so hard here to avoid talking about the coronavirus, the death rates, and all of that mumbo jumbo. I mean, no, I mean, it's not that it's fake and mumbo jumbo, but rather that I'm just sick and tired of hearing about it all the time. And I'm sure you are too. That is why I'm trying so hard to find things that are not directly coronavirus stories. All right, thank you so much. Uh, Don't forget to leave me a rating and a review so other people can find the show. Share this around on all social media platforms that you are on. Thank you, and I will be back again soon.